One of the guys died? Murdered. Murdered? What's after breakfast? What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas. It's weird brunch. Damn Swedes. For real though. Swedes. I uh I what? Uh-uh. Was oh god. Uh <laughs> Karina's like, God, what now? <laughs> um I was listening to My Favorite Murder mm-hmm. because the only two podcasts I listen to are Who Weekly and um Man, I'm <sighs> Okay. So uh you must remember this. They yeah. did that Manson one, right? And that was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Get it, girl. Now she's doing like this season is about um Song of the South. Yeah. And the like Disney there's movie. some really interesting shit in there, but I'm also like This yeah, is about all, Disney. She, it, it's kinda like and then they were racist. <laughs> it's like Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah. They really were. I listened um, to her whole book, the oh, yeah. Sex Lies sedu- or Seduction, Sex Lies and Stardom, and Howard Hughes' Hollywood. That sounds good. I liked it. Howard Hughes is a piece of shit. Oh, and yeah. Crazy. His- and he hated women. Oh, Woo! so much. Hated women. So much. I was really upset when that movie like made it seem like Catherine Hepburn could like. Liked See, I've never seen the movie. What wife was Cap or love interest was Catherine Hepburn playing? I guess I could Google it. I should know because that movie, that book is fresh on my mind. I think so they just maybe implied they were friends. I can't remember. The whole movie yeah. made me mad. What was that movie? The Aviator. The Aviator. His uh, like mansion or whatever is in Houston, right? Mm-hmm. And it's right off of Washington He's Avenue. He's got a few. And people have huge part like if you're fancy right. there's a party there mm-hmm. and i'm just like it's so gross though <laughs> like it's beautiful for sure but mm-hmm. it's also like that, that's a gross thing mm. have y'all been following the my favorite murder yeah backlash the twitter drag Ooh, yeah. what's happening uh people are just finally catching up to the idea that all these like True crime murder podcast can be a little squicky if, like, you know, it's your friend who was murdered. Sure, mm-hmm. you know, and that I mean, they're kind like of having too much fun with for it. A while. Yeah. Well, they did just have like my favorite weekend and like a whole vacation thing oh. for my favorite murder fans and stuff. I don't know if that's part of it. My favorite cruise. Yeah. It's, Basically. It's the inevitable thing that happens when you get too big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People are like, people I start to examine what you examine, examine like what you do. If yeah. It's okay. I, yeah. I am behind like a fourth of this backlash. Yeah. The other three fourths. I'm like, all right. I think it's like valid points, but also yeah. just a podcast. Yeah. You know, but then I get it when like there's an internet pile on like the one person I could really sympathize with was like they were just trying to like deal with their friend's death and like every tweet was followed up with like tagging them in like you guys mm-hmm. following me. That's obnoxious. Yeah. As usual, it's the fans. Yeah, I was going to say, it, isn't it, it the fans that are yeah. doing that? Not obviously not Karen and Georgia. Mm hmm. But I just feel like a, a dick because I was listening to it. And I don't normally at mm-hmm. all. I just didn't have a new one of the other two that I listened to. 
And then I was like, oh, I should just add this to my library for like backup. And then literally the next day is when everybody was like, backlash, Twitter attack. And I was like, oh, God, I'm part of the problem. I like my favorite murder. Yeah. It's better than left podcast on the left. left. Yeah, that's yeah. the worst. Last podcast last, on the left. Yeah. Left podcast on the left. And it's just, honestly, it's just that one fucking guy. I couldn't get through an episode of that. There's just. It's this, like, so I tried True Crime Garage for a while. And then the one guy. One. But that one guy, the captain or whatever, mm-hmm. which. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Trademark. Duh. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> My husband gonna get you. Um, <laughs> but like that guy, like, and I don't know. Anytime some fucking old white man's trying to be funny, it just pisses me off. <laughs> He's not old though. Yeah. He's probably like late 30s, early 40s. On True Crime Garage? Yeah. Oh, he sounds older. He should lay off the. He's a little slurry sometimes. Yeah. I mean, not like we are. We're perfect, pristine podcasters. I mean, well researched, told back coherently with little pausing and ums. Mm -hmm. I'm Karina Magyar. I'm Whitney Lamond. I'm um, Lisa Friedrich. And I'm on a Xanax. Welcome to Weird Brunch. (laughs) I've only had two glasses of wine, so I'm legally sober. That's true. That's 0.0. Basically. Zero, zero. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's That's for just, my heart. Yes. Yeah. And the baby. I'm just and kidding. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just want a real chill baby. Yeah, you are you know. totally allowed to have a glass of wine when you're pregnant, too, if it's twins. That's the truth. One if it's twins? Two if it's twins. You could have two if it's twins. That's what I yeah. just said. You oh, two okay. if it's oh twins. yeah. Anyway, fuck it. Anyway, fine. drink if you're pregnant. Yeah. Oh, smoke don't blame us. Do whatever you want. We don't give a shit. No, we're not your moms. Mm-mm. Uh, Mm-mm. That's a different podcast. We're not your moms. Yeah. That'd be a good podcast. Just terrible advice. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and terrible I feel like shit we've done. Set that on fire. Yeah. I think you could learn something from the terrible things people have done in our stories. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why we have lessons at the end. Do we? Sometimes. We try. We try. Sometimes we try and sometimes we get into arguments. (laughs) (laughs) That's what keeps us young. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm young. Okay. Um, So speaking of being young, here's a piece about old times in the 19th century. I'm going to talk about the 1872 presidential election. All right. Everyone's favorite. (laughs) presidential election from the 19th century i feel like i have to wipe dust off of you announcing that (laughs) (laughs) just yeah there we go yeah and just imagine like an old book slowly opening and like some Mm -hmm. handwritten pages it was an interesting year in the american no okay um (laughs) no i'm gonna talk about victoria woodhull probably the most uh woodhull woodhull Oh. Probably the most <laughs> punk rock of the suffragettes in I some mean, ways. I mean, a wood hole would be wood hole. Pretty, <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. Pretty punk rock. Mm-hmm. So Victoria Woodhull was born in 1838 in rural Ohio 
her mom's name was Madame Roxy Claflin. God damn. <laughs> and she I was a clairvoyant and a devotee of Franz Mesmer. Hey, there he is again. Mesmerizing. Is this, yep. Wait, Don't forget. Is this just our friend Roxy? Yeah, basically. This is the reincarnation of our friend Roxy. Hell yeah. And her dad was Buck Claflin, a con man, snake oil salesman, and a Better Call Saul style lawyer. God, I love these names so, and professions. Madam yeah. Roxy and Buck were her parents. And so you can tell she grew up in an, a household that was on the up and up. She had three siblings. Uh, the one she was closest to was her youngest sister, Tennessee, who was seven years younger than Those her. Those middle siblings never get any love. Nope. Tennessee. So Victoria, she's the only ten I yep, see as oh, a child. Jesus, guys, that's what the dad said when the baby came out. That mm-hmm. creeped me out so hard. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> it's real gross. She's still a baby in this part of the story. Well, I'm assuming she's not. Okay. Well, no, no, she's very decrepit. Uh, Victoria was forced to quit school when she was 11 years old because her dad was caught burning the house down for the insurance money. Literally. Uh, and he was run out of town instead of being thrown in jail they just ran him out of town literally with like pitchforks and shit and then the townspeople held like a GoFundMe like literally pitched everybody pitched in money to deport them from Ohio see I miss a good shunning that's awesome they really hated this family like what happened to shunning I know well they got shunned all the way to the east coast yeah let's fucking bring that back so Victoria, when she's 14, has had about three years worth of school and has been going around basically helping her mom tell fortunes and her dad run cons. Uh, when she runs into a doctor from upstate New York named Channing Woodhull. None he, of these names are, are real. He was a, an unlicensed doctor because in the 1850s, you didn't need a license to practice medicine. Anyway, Just the kind like of the foreigners. golden age. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He practiced kind of alternative medicine is what we would call it today sure yeah uh which is how he got into the orbit anyway he thought this 14 year old was pretty hot they got married two weeks after she turned 15 the only 10 i see Mm-hmm. they had two kids byron and zula oh my god who was first named zulu and then they changed it um no. to zula it's more feminine i don't know sure. it's also like less uh appropriating maybe i don't know anyway he was an adulterer and an alcoholic yay and also byron was intellectually disabled either from being dropped on his head out of a barn or just being born that way uh it's hard to tell in the 1850s because they would attribute all sorts of reasons to that kind of thing isn't his dad a doctor get your shit together dad well yeah you know so, the unlicensed kind. Come on, the Channing. unlicensed kind because you didn't need it so eventually she fought for and finally got a divorce after Zula was born. Um, but it was a really hard struggle and she was left destitute and it made her a lifelong ardent believer in the doctrine of free love, which is not oh. the 1960s kind of free no. love. In the 19th century, it meant the freedom of a woman to choose whom to love and to have an equal say in matters of marriage and divorce. You know, the kind of shit we take so just for granted now. Free just like literally you, you don't even have a love. voice you're yeah just free just free just freedom actual freedom so this made her uh, a radical a very radical kind of person uh to make money for her family she turned to magnetic healing 
which is kind of what magnetic healing is now. She would go around, run magnets over people's stuff and make them feel better. Put this around your ankle and exactly. you, you won't have diabetes anymore. And while she was doing that, she would diagnose people with social spiritual problems and, and basically fortune tell and all that. Anyway, she was real good at it. In fact, she was so good at it, she ended up being relatively independently wealthy. Rags to riches. Go like she got pretty well known for uh, her magnetic healing powers. Uh, unfortunately, uh, just like her dad, she couldn't hold on to it and she lost it and was impoverished again during the civil war. What do you, was she like gambling? Uh, just probably, I, I didn't go into detail. I, I really wanted to read Too a biography first. about her, but Fun anyway, invention. first time getting rich, went yeah. back into the gutter, uh, like winning the lotto. right after the civil war, she met and married Colonel James Blood who was a colonel from the Civil War. Blood. This is like a soap opera name. (laughs) Uh, So once she was married to Blood, they they moved to New York City along with Tennessee, uh, the sister, not the state. And uh, there she gained a reputation for preaching this free love and providing her spiritualism services. One of her clients was Cornelius Vanderbilt. Oh, okay. Which in addition to being a killer name, you probably have heard of because he was one of the first uh, railroad tycoons in America and one of the wealthiest people in the country at the time. He was kind of like Bill Gates of the 1860s. She gave him some psychic advice on when and how to sell his stocks. And when he followed that advice, he made millions of dollars, which in the 1860s was billions of dollars. Good God. Yeah. So he was like, hey, you guys are my stockbrokers. And she and her sister set up an actual brokerage firm on Wall Street, the only women and first women to have a brokerage firm on Wall Street using their profits from Vanderbilt. Caused a huge sensation in the press. And everybody was like, well, Vanderbilt's investing with her. So Mm -hmm. she became super duper wealthy. Mm -hmm. So now she's kind of rich and famous. Even more first. The uh, New York press portrays them as like sexy vixens because just the idea of a woman stockbroker is like the kind of thing that made men horny in the 1860s. High powered business women. Still would. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. That's true. In a weird way. Mm-hmm. so fear boner victoria was kind of a savvy oprah type and she was like you know what this is money's great but what i really want is power so she used her profits from the brokerage and started a newspaper with her sister called woodhull and claflin's weekly and the soul off the tongue the sole intention of this newspaper was to back victoria in her quest to become president of the united states hell yeah uh So this newspaper, in addition to the cause of promoting Victoria as a presidential candidate, was pro-women's suffrage, free love, sex education, spiritualism, African-American rights, Marxism. It was the first English language newspaper in the United States to publish the Communist Manifesto. Vegetarianism, legalized prostitution, and short skirts. So... I'm into most all of it new york city loved her she was like this is the most exciting thing she basically would have been (laughs) exciting in the 1950s much less the 1860s they were like holy shit this is some sexy ass newspaper stuff ohio's like we fucking knew it (laughs) we knew that's why we got rid of her so she got a ton of press coverage she founded or became a founding member of the equal rights party which was 
one of the many um, little political parties that started when the Republican Party started drifting from its original abolitionist cause after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So kind of a liberal Republican Party, which sounds weird now, but at the time made sense. Well, on the other side, you had the very fucking like the things that led to the prohibition, really. Well, that was 40 years later. And like polygamy, anti-polygamy. Once they took it. Okay, sorry. (laughs) This is what happens when I do research. Uh, So she starts running for the 1872 uh, nomination. Well, she got nominated by her own party, but for the president in 1872 election. So in 1871, on the campaign trail, she gave a famous speech called the Steinway Speech at Steinway Hall in New York on the topic of free love. She said, quote, yes, I am a free lover. I have an inalienable constitutional and natural right to love whom I may, to love as long or as short a period as I can, to change that love every day if I please. And with that right, neither you nor any law you can frame will have any right to interfere. This was a very polarizing position. Yeah. I mean, that still is. Yeah. Some people Annoyingly. really loved her and she got tons of like fans and followers. Some people very much vilified her, mm-hmm. especially in the press. So anyway, she's running for president. She needs a running mate. She picks Frederick Douglass. Why not? Yeah. Uh, to be her running mate, which is a pretty uh, ballsy move to make in the 1870s. He never acknowledged or accepted this nomination, but (laughs) (laughs) he was too good for it. Yeah, she just kind of kept him on the ticket. Yeah, Uh, there was also an open legal question about whether or not she was even allowed to run for office because women couldn't vote. Um, Also, she was 34, which is one year younger than the Constitution says you have to be to be a president. Does it still say that? It's still, you have to be 35 to be president. But Mm -hmm. this is funny. Even though she would have been 34 all the way up until, um, what's that called when you're... Inauguration? Inauguration day. uh, Literally nobody paid attention to that. It's something historians noticed. Like (laughs) Everybody was so like, but she's a woman. Can she run for president? Nobody was like, yeah, but she's 34. She can't. There's no way she's going to win this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they all covered it like it was a real campaign because kind of, I don't know, I hate to say Trump effect, but you know. Yeah, sensational. There are so many people running for president in 1872. I'll get to that in a second. This was like the most fun one for sure. So the newspapers attacked her free love agenda. She made real inroads for women's suffrage, though, um, arguing that the 14th and 15th amendments implicitly allowed women to vote because they're the equal rights amendments that Mm -hmm. ended slavery. Um, and it was a pretty serious and well-regarded argument that a lot of people made. It was so compelling. She was one of the people invited to testify before Congress in 1871 that women already had the right to vote thanks to those two amendments. And there was a chance Congress was going to go ahead and take up the cause and send it to the Supreme Court for a decision on whether or not women had the right to vote based on those two amendments. Unfortunately... During that campaign, and she was the face of that argument that the 14th and 15th Amendments gave women the right to vote, she went after Henry Ward Beecher, who was... Like Beecher Stowe? No. Okay. Uh, One of the most popular preachers in America. Like, uh, who's that guy on TV? Joel Joel Osteen. He's the Joel Osteen of the 1870s. She found out that he had an affair with one of his parishioners. She happened to know this parishioner, and she got skinny. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so she decided, you know what? This is one of the guys who campaigns the hardest against free love and against women having the right to vote and thinks that women are blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm going to use my newspaper and my campaign and cry out about this hypocrisy that this leading voice against free love is having a full-on affair with a 20-year-old girl, and I got all the dirty deets, and she published all the dirty details. OG Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, receipts and all that. Uh, in salacious detail for the 1870s, of course, not like today we wouldn't be like, eh, but right for the time it was really salacious. Anyway, that newspaper was subscribed to nationwide, not just in New York. Uh, so she got arrested on obscenity charges for sending obscene material through the U.S. Postal Service across state lines. Oh, God. Which was a federal offense. I mean, to be fair, I would love to arrest whoever put that grab him by the pussy thing out. I don't need to hear that shit. Just yeah. tell me it happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, uh, I think, a misdemeanor until this incident happened. And then the person who prosecuted her, Anthony Comstock, successfully lobbied for Congress to pass what are what were called the Comstock laws to strengthen that and make it a felony to use the U.S. Postal Service to send obscenities. The Comstock laws mm-hmm. infamously used to uh, put down suffragettes for decades. Um, anyway, she happened to be in jail on election day uh, in 1872, so she didn't get Bummer. to prove that she had the right to vote by going to freaking vote. Mm-hmm. And that's what she really wanted to do. Susan B. Anthony did try to vote for her and was arrested and fined a hundred dollars. And the trial about that was a huge national story. Um, and the idea was that she was going to vote for Victoria Woodhall, although she didn't say, uh, Frederick Douglass, who never acknowledged that he was on this ticket. <laughs> what if Susan B. Anthony was like, I mean, but what if she gets her period? <laughs> She's going to nuke the contract. They weren't, Really good friends uh, for reasons I'll get into later. Anyway, Ooh. Frederick Douglass, who was on the ticket, um, he was one of the electors in the Electoral College for the state of New York. Mm. Um, so he could have voted for her like for reals. Yeah. Uh, he didn't. Uh, the election was a total mess. All right. So to set the stage, the president at the time is Ulysses S. Grant. First yeah. term, totally bad at it. Mm-hmm. He was corrupt drunk not meant to be the president not meant to be the president but like we needed a figurehead Mm -hmm. to like pull the country together after the civil war and he was a compromise candidate but here he is up for re-election perfect time it seems like to oust him right sure you know how that at the end of a first term or corrupt president seems like oh here's the time to get rid of him (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh he's up for re-election and horace greeley runs against him in the primaries for the Republican Party. Horace Greeley, famous, he was a newspaper guy, famous for writing Go West, Young Man. Mm. Uh, one of the founding members of the Republican Party, one of the most noisy advocates of abolition, one of the most pro-black rights people in America. Mm-hmm. Super progressive dude. Um, really upset about the way the Republican Party was drifting into corruption and allowing Reconstruction to suck and all that. So he tries to outflank Ulysses S. Grant God, on the left. so fucking familiar. Uh, Grant gets the nomination. So Greeley says, screw it. I'm starting my own political party called the Liberal Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems like the person who could beat Grant in the general. So the Democratic Party says, 
yeah, we want him too. So he gets nominated mm-hmm. by them as well. So two parties nominate Greeley, which is hilarious because he hates the Democrats with all, but they're right, like, fuck right. it. If he can beat Grant, we're, we're for it. So that works for most of the Democrats, uh, but Texas and Louisiana are like, he ain't no Democrat. And they pick their own people at the convention. It's a complete mess. The election has six people seriously running for president. <laughs> Plus Victoria Woodhull. So seven people okay. who are campaigning for electoral votes all the way up to election day. Uh, this is just next year. I know. This is why I wanted to do this one. <laughs> so it's four racists, two ardent progressives, Greeley and Woodhull, and Ulysses S. Grant, the drunken popular general and incumbent president. So you can guess what happened. The popular vote happens on election day. Grant wins. Mm-hmm. Um, 55. 4% to 45%. Uh, and as we it's all know... It's a pretty know, strong win. It's a pretty strong win. It's that name recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is that name recognition. It's also the fact that there were so many people running against yeah. that. Yeah. Right? That's where this whole thing came from. Um, and as we all know, after the popular election, it's a couple of weeks or like a month until they do the Electoral College, right? Greeley dies. Oh. Oh. Before the Electoral College. So, in the Electoral College, Grant gets 286 votes. Three people from Georgia vote for the dead Greeley. 63 people just pick a random Democrat because they have no idea who the fuck to put their cast their vote for. Uh, And 14 people in Arkansas and Louisiana are just like, fuck it and don't vote at all. So Grant wins in a landslide for re-election, and that's how history looks at it, even though pretty much nobody in the country wanted him to win again, but they just yeah. threw too Default many candidates at it. it. Yeah. Uh, and also, Bernie's going to die. The Electoral College is a joke. Bernie's not going to win the, no. the nomination. There's no way. Mayor Pete. So lost in all of this, how many popular votes did Victoria Woodhull get? She didn't get any Electoral College votes. Because Frederick Douglass didn't vote for himself. Uh, I can't answer that question because nobody bothered to write it down. Hmm. Oh. They didn't really keep track of things like "Eh, that. They're like, it's really the Electoral College. We can tell she's not win. So, yeah. So, when nobody knows how many voting doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Still doesn't. Yeah. Uh, So, that was devastating to Victoria. Um, she moves to England in 1877 after her husband dies, her newspaper goes out of business. Marx kicks her out of the International Workers Union. It was a long story with how she fell out with Marxism. And she split with the suffragettes over abortion because she was super against abortion and pro-eugenics. And the pro-life movement still brings up Victoria Woodhull when they talk about how the suffragettes Mm. would have hated Planned Parenthood. Uh, and anyway and also Cornelius Vanderbilt kicked the bucket so her sugar daddy's gone all this stuff so she just leaves the country in 1877 and she and Tennessee and Zula all set up shop with a new publication uh, and her third husband this Brit named John Martin she comes back to the United States two more times to run for president 1884 and 1892 but she never got as much traction as she did then and she died in 1927. She spent her entire time in the 20th century um, effecting, effectively causing education reform in England. She introduced the concept of kindergarten to England um, and also um, 
uh, campaigning very, very hard for eugenics. Uh, so that was, uh, <laughs> you know, controversial person her whole life, total punk rocker, and the first woman to ever run for president, if you count it, given that it was impossible for her to win. I count it. Yep. I'm into it. And you I, had me until eugenics <laughs> and pro-life. Yeah. Well, well, I mean. Not everybody's perfect. At the time, eugenics was a theory. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. No. She also grew up thinking that magnets cured people, so she was a little susceptible to I mean, to I know a lot of women who think rocks cure things. I don't need that eye contact right now. I, that was threatening. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll go get the crystal in my... I'm just Office. saying, Give I bought some you. new rocks, brought them to my desk, and then my boss got fired. That's true. You also did the tarot reading. I did. I did two that led to that. Damn. That's true. It's true. All right. Um, speaking of firsts. Yeah. You know, first things happen every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time that's been said on this podcast. God. You're I welcome. I'm first thing talking every day. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I'd like us to travel to a very cold, cold place. In fact, the coldest place on the planet, I believe, or is so I'm about to talk about Antarctica. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the place where the coldest recorded temperature has happened, but I don't know if the North Pole has had colder temperatures. So, um, Yes, the coldest place on Earth is Antarctica. Okay. I don't know why it can't be the North Pole. Also, you'd think that they would be pretty similar. It's waterier. Yeah, that's true. The North Pole is all icebergs. Mm -hmm. There you go. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Karina, for being smart. Um, Okay. So no one goes to Antarctica. Big news. Except for a few thousand people. Um, every year, if you ever want to go to Antarctica, it looks like, uh, well, go in there summertime. There's a spot called McMurdo Station that looks super awesome. It's the biggest, it's not really a town. Nobody lives in Antarctica permanently. It's impossible. Um, and to go there, you have to like have a job you're doing and be approved by the government. Um, but they do have a thing called ice stock every mm-hmm. year for New Year's. And it looks like people who are happen to be there probably play this little music festival. But yes, my friend um, has I love spent it. years at Murdoch. Really? Mm-hmm. Doing what? Um, I don't remember her specific. She takes photos. I don't remember what her specific job is, but it's fucking on like she's one of the few high school people that i'm friends with that i'm like i'm really glad we're still friends yeah it's very interesting mcmurdo station also if you go on to google you can kind obviously google maps you can see like the layout of the town in a map and they do have like mcmurdo uh coffee shop and you can Mm -hmm. click on it and there's like two reviews Mm -hmm. (laughs) one of them is like you know, I'm being a dick and pretending that I came yeah. here. And the other one is like, obviously, some scientist who is like, the staff here is very friendly. And it's, Aww. I love it because, yeah, who's going to Antarctica and is like, do I want to go to the one restaurant? 
and there's nothing else. That's it. Yep. Like you don't you don't have a choice, dude. Anyways, <laughs> enough about uh, life in Antarctica at that particular spot. That's not where we're talking about, but we are talking about Antarctica. Um. So this is the case of Rodney Marks. Rodney was born in Victoria, Australia in 1968, and he studied at the University of Melbourne um, and got his Ph.D. and went to the University of New South Wales, where he got that Ph.D. He uh, went to the South Pole, a.k.a. Antarctica, Mm -hmm. uh, from 1997 to 1998 because he had been hired by the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, which sounds official as fuck. Yeah. Um, He was assigned to the Antarctica Submillimeter Telescope and remote observatory that was being run out of the Amundsen Scott South Pole Station. So he's having a good time at the station. He joins the band at that station. Oh they God, were called Fish. They were called with an F. <laughs> it does start with an F. They were called Fanny Back, Fanny Pack and the Big Nancy Boys. Oh, oh. that's a very Australian you know, name. Right? That's actually a very, we've been stuck on the South Pole alone for, a for four very months. Long Everyone time. say a word. Yes. So, <laughs> oh, Fanny Pack, it's funny. And the what and boys? And Nancy boys. Yep, it was the 90s. Okay. Um, He's also been dating a girl on the base. Her name is Sonia, and they're engaged now, and she's basically working there. Did you there. say a girl or the girl? I, probably the girl. Okay. Uh, she's mainly working at that base because a couple. <laughs> she Cute wants photos. to spend time with him, and um, people described him as being kind of dry, witty, and I don't know. Just a guy, basically. (laughs) Nothing good, nothing bad, just a dude. Uh, On May 11th, 2000, so a year or so later, Rodney is walking from the remote observatory part of the base back to the main base, and he starts to feel real sick. Uh, He doesn't know what's going on but he knows he's starting to struggle to breathe and his vision is deteriorating and he feels super exhausted and he's like this is fucked up but i'm just gonna go to sleep and try and sleep over whatever's going on Ooh, he wakes idea. up he wakes up at 5 30 in the morning on may 12th and he's vomiting blood wait was he sleeping in the middle of nowhere or did he have shelter no, he was at the base. Okay, he got yeah. back to the base. He, yeah, okay. so the base itself is, I mean, everything's pretty close together because you can't really walk that yeah. far. Uh, but he had walked from, yeah, from like the observatory back to the base. And he, so he's vomiting up blood. He goes to the the base's doctor and he's like, hey, what's up? I'm, you know, vomiting up blood and my pains are really terrible and my muscles and joints and he 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 was so sensitive to light that he had to wear sunglasses even though the bulbs around him were very low wattage like you know he shouldn't be having to wear sunglasses for light sensitivity like that and on his 
third visit to the doctor, his doctor is like, well, maybe you're having like some type of anxiety or panic attack. And he's like, are you serious? I'm vomiting up blood. Like not really a anxiety panic attack kind of symptom. And the doctor is like, calm down. I'm going to give you an antipsychotic injection. And within 45 minutes of the injection, he goes into cardiac arrest and dies. Oh, no. Oh, Jesus. So everyone's like, what the fuck? Do you know what kind of antipsychotic it was? I don't. But it was an antipsychotic injectable. (laughs) So the death was reported as likely being of natural causes. Sure, sounds natural. Um, But that they would need to do a proper autopsy to know for certain. So they're in Antarctica. They can't just like get his body to a place where an autopsy can happen. They have to keep it frozen for about six months until they could ship it to Christchurch, New Zealand for the autopsy. Um, they, when it finally gets there, they quickly establish that the cause of death is methanol poisoning. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Speaking of something that Lisa talked about in the last episode. Oh, my God. He was drinking that wood so, alcohol. The coroner estimated that he had consumed 150 milliliters of methanol, which would be the approximate amount that would fit in a wine glass, which is a fuck ton of methanol. (coughs) 10 milliliters of methanol can like severely injure a person and make them go blind. (laughs) So the amount he drank was huge. I mean, they only get so many packages, you know. But they had, so that's the thing. They had alcohol there. There was alcohol available for people to casually consume if they wanted to. So they're like, okay, well, we need to talk to everybody like that was at the base at the time. Sonia. It's a villain's name. (laughs) Um, Red Sonia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also they're doing this like obviously the whole base didn't come back to New Zealand. Just the body did. So they're satelliting over to them and they're like, hey, uh, people at the base, if you could like do the talk to everyone there and let us know what anybody says. And they're like, yeah, I guess we'll try. <laughs> of the 49 people <laughs> that we were, interrupt this bingo game. Yeah. <laughs> Of the 49 people that were at the base at the time, uh, 13 people sent back responses to the investigators about (laughs) their whereabouts. So that's not a great return. Um, Not a good open rate. No, not at all. Uh, In 2006, they discovered that Rodney had suffered from Tourette's syndrome but they didn't know if that would have made any difference in what happened to him unless, I don't know, he pissed somebody off, but that probably didn't happen. Um, They assumed the detective, his name was Detective Warmold, um, thought that Mark had consumed the methanol knowingly because there was such a large supply of drinkable alcohol in the base he would have more than likely known 
and actively chosen to drink the the methanol. Mm -hmm. If not, they also think somebody could have given it to him, Mm -hmm. bum, 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 on purpose as a prank or a trick. Or to fucking kill him. What a fun prank. <laughs> this is so funny. I'm Ashton Kutcher dead. just shows up. <laughs> Dude. You've been methapunked. Yeah, I don't know. Where's your continent? Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. That one got me more than it maybe should. No. So in 2008, so this is eight years later, basically, they finally released a report to the public that concludes... Foul play, suicide, a prank or accident could not be supported by evidence from anything and therefore no verdict was reached as to what caused the death of Rodney Mark other than the fact that he drank a fuck ton of methanol and that is what ended up killed him, killing him. Um, there are a bunch of theories. One is that he was suicidal and was kind of going crazy because he's in Antarctica. Antarctica. Yeah, sure. Um, they think he could have killed himself in a severe episode of depression and or, or he was maybe trying to get sick enough for them to send him home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. There are better ways to do that. The whole kind of shoot yourself in the foot deal. Yeah, that sounds like a horrible way to die. Yeah. Yeah. There are And you're in Antarctica. You know how to commit suicide in Antarctica? Go just walk outside. outside. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, Take a nap under the stars. Yeah. There are people who abuse methanol, uh, where you drink it diluted in water to experience a high, but that can accumulate brain damage over time and they didn't find anything like that um it's sometimes makes it's sometimes used to make moonshine but they don't think that was a deal especially since alcohol was readily available on the base um then there's the murder just question out there who knowingly gave mark methanol sonia you think it was Sonia? Like, they don't, there's no real thing. He could have inhaled it also, some uh, like a shitload of it. How? Uh, How? Like I don't know. Uh, maybe. They have like methanol poppers? Maybe. Okay. Um, there's also people who are very suspicious of the doctor. Um, so his name was Dr. Robert Thompson. And his name was Robert Thompson. His name was Robert Thompson. Uh, after Rodney died, people were like, why did you just brush him off so much and then say he was having a panic attack and then you gave him something that made him go into cardiac arrest? Yeah, why did you give him an antipsychotic for yeah, a panic attack? Yeah, for throwing up blood. And yeah, so there was a machine that Dr. Thompson could have used to do blood analysis, but it was reportedly out of batteries and that it would have taken (laughs) another eight to 10 hours to recalibrate for use. Um, Thompson also said he was too busy caring for Mark to consider using the machine in the first place because it was too complicated. What? Um, But one of the other, uh, like an actual 
other doctor, I don't think that was on the base, but another guy was like, that's the most simple machine ever. You're lying. Um, he, they called into question the antipsychotic, which seemed to trigger the fatal cardiac arrest. And he defended it as necessary due to the panic state that Mark was in and make it, he was trying to make him possible to be treated by giving him an antipsychotic. That's not what you no okay. Um, that's not what you give them like a sedative, yeah. not an anti. I don't know. Maybe he was Jesus. freaking out so much. I, it does. It none of it really makes sense. Uh, in the end, nobody actually knows why Mark drank that methanol, but it definitely killed him. <coughs> and he either knowingly did it to himself. Or somebody did that to him. Hold on. Hold on. Where are you? Okay, good. <laughs> Sorry. I thought I had somehow closed out of our episode and we weren't recording anything. Oh, no. We're good. I found it. Don't worry. It's here. Okay. Cool. That's the end of my story. <laughs> Don't drink a wine glass full of methanol because you will cough up blood and die. He was totally murdered. He had to yeah. be, right? Yeah. Nothing in the theories say anything about Sonia. Well, well, I don't, you know, she's the only named character here. But yeah. I mean, the True. base is populated during season. 49 people. Yeah. 49 suspects. Get a fucking detective down there. 48. Because he. Well, I would think maybe he's number 50, right? Like have oh, a. Right. Have a even the, number. This is a classic. Agatha Christie style, put a detective in there. Nobody leaves yes. this base until we figure out who fucking yeah. murdered him. And then all the power goes out and then they're all going to die and they have to solve it. Oh, and then they have to figure out who the thing is. Mm. Like, it's oh, going to be. Thing. <laughs> God, I just watched that movie. I love that movie. God, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm. Maybe the thing killed him. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Well, speaking of death, Yes. Let's talk about a woman who would not die. Raspitina? Yes. Yes. Um, So I want to talk about Violent Jessup. Uh, She was born on October 2nd in 1887 near Bahia Blanca, Argentina. Um, Violet Constant Jessup was the oldest daughter of Irish immigrants, William and Catherine Jessup. So she was Irish-Argentine. Um, Argentina actually has one of the largest populations of Irish folk. Um, interesting. Yeah. So they had a lot of Germans. I didn't know they also got the Irish. Yeah. So before the Nazis started coming in, (laughs) um, Italians, there's a lot of Italians in Argentina, right? So the sub Nazis, um, the, the Irish were going over there because like they were able to find work, um, at this time or in the mid 19th century yeah same famine stuff right yeah Yeah. but this is also like some of them were kind of on the uh the line of where people are like irish were slaves too um because a lot of them were like servants Um, well they were so destitute that they had to right work Work is work baby Yeah. yeah um also, I would like to go on the record and say the Irish were never slaves, and fuck you if you say that. Okay. Um, so she was the first of nine children, um, and she was one of six whom survived. So she's already, right. 
she's already living the odds. Yeah, she's already beaten the odds here. Um, she spent much of her childhood, obviously, caring for her younger siblings. When you're the oldest and there's fucking five others, that's your job. Mm-hmm. You are mom. Um, she became very ill as a child with what uh, is presumed to have been tuberculosis. Mm. And the doctors were like, oh, she going to die. And then she was like, nah, bitch. And then when she was 16 years old, her father died due to complications from surgery um, because doctors weren't doctors then. And her family moved to England where she went to a convent school. Mm. Cute. Um, (laughs) During that time, she cared for her youngest sister while her mother was at sea working as a stewardess. When her mother became ill, Jessup left school and, following in her mother's footsteps, applied to be a stewardess. So at 17, she had applied to be a ship stewardess with the Royal Mail Lines, but was told she was too young and too pretty to get the job. Mm -hmm. Wait, what economy? They told me I was too pretty. I don't know about that. That actually was reported in all of the sources I looked at. Damn, that does not sound like capitalism. Uh, yeah. Um, Jessup had to dress down to make herself less attractive in order to be hired. Um, and she was instructed to avoid makeup and to wear dowdy clothes to appear less attractive once she was hired. Jeez. What? Mm-hmm. What's um, wrong with people? Yeah, well, you know. All right. Uh, it was a time when... Men were men. Okay. Women were things. Um, At age 21, she had her first stewardess position with the Royal Mail Line above the Orinoco in 1908. Mm -hmm. And Jessup was (laughs) eventually fired from the position for refusing a ship captain's advances. Mm. Oh, she's still too pretty. Mm-hmm. And this was after downplaying her hotness. Try I mean, harder, girl. I know. Get less hot. Lose an eye. Um, <laughs> so soon after that, she was actually hired by the White Star Line, which we all oh, sounds shit. familiar. Um, so on the White Star Line, she worked seventeen hours a day, for which she was paid little more than <laughs> two pounds per month. What? Which was two thirds of a third class ticket on the Titanic. Oh my god! Um, so she wasn't really paid. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, but she welcomed the work because it was a way for her to travel and see new places. So she was one of those like. Oh, so you're doing it for exposure? Yeah, like fuck money. <laughs> let me see the world, which was really just a lot of water because that was they weren't really. It wasn't like a yeah. Royal Caribbean situation. <laughs> Um, so the first ship she was on with the White Star Line was the Olympic. Uh, in 1911, she was a stewardess there. Um, and the Olympic was a luxury ship that was the largest civilian liner at the time. Although Joseph received several proposals from passengers. Damn, girl. She only had one romance. I appreciate her dedication to not... Just being like, all right, rich guy, let's go right. bone. Right. And I'll do it. Right. Um, I mean, she was really into being a stewardess on these fucking ships. She um, it's what her mother did before her. 
So the only guy that she had feelings for was this uh, Australian engineer called Ned. Ned. It's a very Australian name. Yep. Very opinionated. Australian. Uh, But with a warm heart. Australian. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't want to get married until he was promoted, but that was not seeming to happen. And uh, she didn't, you know, really want to wait around for that. So she was on board on September 20th, 1911, when the Olympic left from Southampton and collided with the British warship HMS Hawk. Shit. Whoops. Um, There were no fatalities, uh, and despite the damage, the ship was able to make it back to port without sinking. So what happened was they, like, took out the hull, basically. All right. Mm -hmm. But it was, like, as it was kind of filling up, they still were able to get back. That's still way more embarrassing than hitting an iceberg. Yeah, right? To another so that, takes, ship. that takes two captains well, fucking up. Yeah. Well, no, you go right. You go right. No, you're going right. <laughs> we'll maybe get to that in a minute. Um, Jessup chose, uh, so she has memoirs, and that's where a lot of this is coming from. And for some reason, she didn't even talk about the Olympic. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I don't know, fuck it. Um, Lots of water. Ran into a boat. Yeah. What else is there to say? Big deal. <laughs> um, so after that, wreck her and a bunch of other people that were working on the olympic were actually um brought on to uh the rms titanic um she was uh boarded the ship on april 10th 1912 she was 24 years old and the working conditions on the titanic were way better than the olympic uh this is hooray Quite a bit has to do with her. The ship's doctor took a like fatherly interest mm. in Jessup's welfare, mm. um, which helped deter overzealous potential suitors and harassers mm. who may have otherwise made her life difficult. So she didn't really have this like safety net slash groomer uh on the previous boat how old is she at this time 24 okay um so in her memoir she said the doctor's interest in me had an added advantage it kept away one rather persistent man whose work on board placed him in a favorite favorable position and whose overtures rather inclined to nocturnal ramblings and disregard for other people's feelings oh, which man. is the nicest way to say this fucking creep that yeah. i've ever heard yeah. in my life man nocturnal ramblings mm-hmm. uh, youth. creepy um four days later on the 14th of april the titanic struck an iceberg oh i thought you meant gold um <laughs> in the north atlantic and a little more than two hours, the Titanic sank. Um, as a devout Catholic, Jessup said she had just finished reading a Hebrew prayer meant to provide protection from fire and water when the Titanic collided with the iceberg. Witch stuff. Jessup described in her memoirs, uh, she was ordered up on deck because she was to function as an example of quote, how to behave for the non-English speakers what? who could not follow the instructions given to them, which is fair, right? Like, like just follow me, do sure. this, yeah. do as I do. Yeah, that 
Um, So she's helping the non-English speakers and then she's watching these crew uh, load the lifeboats. She went back to her cabin and then they called her back from her cabin and said, you know, women and children, you're a woman getting lifeboat 16. Uh, How could they tell she was a woman? She was so drab and... Oh, it seemed like no one had trouble telling that, (laughs) (laughs) making that distinction. So as the boat was being lowered, one of the Titanic's officers gave her a baby to look after. Oh, fuck. That'll happen. Uh, The next morning. That's how you and I got raised. I know. Take (laughs) this. Try not to drown. Yeah. Um, (laughs) While you're going. Yeah. Could you just get, get this out of here? We got an extra. Uh, the next morning, Jessup and the rest of the survivors were rescued by the RMS Carpathia. So she was one of the very few mm-hmm. um, that got on the Carpathia. According to Jessup, <clears throat> while on board Carpathia, a woman, presumably the baby's mother, grabbed the baby she was holding and ran off with it without saying a word. Yeah, but ran off Shit. on a boat. Yeah. You could catch her. Yeah, but still you're kind of like, oh, that's probably the mom. I, I mean, like... like and also I, few. Yeah. I mean, it's a baby. They're pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it didn't take her long before she was right back on a ship. So now she's on the Britannic. Oh, wait. She started working ships again? Oh, yeah. This bitch did not stop. She loved that ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um... In those 17-hour days. Oh, God. For two pounds a month? Mm -hmm. She lives to work. Uh, During the First World War, Jessup served as a stewardess for the British Red Cross. On the morning of November 21st, 1916, she was on board the HMHS Britannic, again, a White Star liner, that had been converted into a hospital ship. Uh, it sank into the agency. Wait, what? <laughs> due to an unexplained explosion. Well, it's war, so yeah, but that s- might be the explanation. Yes, so um, it sank within 55 minutes. Fuck you, Titanic. Wow. Two hours. Yeah. Uh, killing Smaller ship, you know. C. Uh, killing 30 out of the 1,066 people on board. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, that's a pretty that's good pretty survival, good. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the British authorities hypothesized that the ship was either struck by a torpedo or mm-hmm. hit by a mine planted mm-hmm. by German forces. Yeah, they're um, real close to Italy there. Conspiracy theories have circulated <laughs> that suggest the British were responsible for sinking their own ship. Why, they were trying to get rid of Jessup? Gulf of Tonkin situation. <laughs> okay. um, scientists have been... But it's a Red Cross ship, right? Gulf of Tonkin situation. Um, So at the time, in like 2010, scientists had been unable to reach definitive conclusions as to the true cause. Um, In 2016, there was a major diving expedition on the wreck, and it was determined that the ship had sunk, uh, had struck a deep sea mine. So Germans. Yeah. Fucking Germans. While the Britannic was sinking, Jessup and other passengers were nearly killed by the boat's propellers that were sucking lifeboats under the stern. Jesus. 
Jessup had to jump out of her lifeboat, resulting in a traumatic head injury, which she survived. She actually says that her <laughs> her thick hair saved her from dying because the propeller was like hitting her head so hard, but because her hair was so thick, it was she had skull fractures. Yeah, but it didn't like bust her head open. It was so thick and she luscious. does have like mm-hmm. she is real pretty and has she thick is. hair. Yeah. yeah, we've established that. Um, I don't know if you heard. <laughs> she's real pretty. She's so pretty. Uh, in her memoir, she described the scene she witnessed uh, as the Britannic went under as the. Say it. Because it didn't mean... Okay. She said, The white pride of the ocean's medical world dipped her head a little, then a little lower and still lower. So it was just like head first down. I don't know why we have to call it the white pride of the ocean's medical world, but okay. That's really weird. I feel like she was a dramatic lady, maybe. Okay. Do you think Um, this... Okay, never mind. All the... All the... Oh, she also goes on to say all the deck machinery fell into the sea like a child's toys. Then she took a fearful plunge, her stern rearing hundreds of feet into the air. With a final roar, she disappeared into the depths. Um, (laughs) Jessup returned to work for the White Star Line in 1920. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah, dog. She's fucking crazy. Uh... (laughs) So after not dying so far, uh, she continued to work for the White Star Line before joining the Red Star Line and then the Royal Mail Line again. So full circle. Wow. During her tenure with the Red Star, Jessup went on two around-the-world cruises on the company's largest ship, Belgenland. Belgenland? Belgenland. Okay. In her late 30s, Jessup had a brief marriage um, it keep people keep calling it brief and disastrous. And anytime you look this shit up about her marriage, you can't find dick unless it just I found one <laughs> thing. Um, and it's always brief and disastrous. Brief, yes, it's always described as brief and disastrous. <laughs> and like it's just this weird mystery. Researchers are having a hard time figuring out what the fuck happened. I found something on Ancestry.com where people were like, we're going to fucking get to the bottom of this in like 2006. Okay. Um, And that's not even where I found this. <laughs> like <laughs> people have just been going nuts over this. Um, So they, she gets married on Monday, October 29th, 1923. She's 36. Okay. So all of this information is pulled from uh, census data and like different like weird records that people found um and it's all in one chunk of of research so she gets married at our lady grace in saint edward which is kind of a shitty church she gets married to john james lewis who describes himself as a mariner in the merchant service the son of a master mariner all right so seaman um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he may have been uh, suggesting himself as more than he was. Uh, by marriage certificate, he was an uncertified or uncertificated ship's steward. So the stewardess Violet, who might previously have like really 
liked the notions of marrying one of the well-to-do passengers that she served eventually kind of settled for someone that was just right equal to her um he was 10 years older than her and he was like oh i'm a bachelor i'm i'm a fucking bachelor um because <laughs> at the time it was weird for a man to be marrying for the first time at 46 um but he was like oh i'm, I'm still kind of weird yeah yeah sure. um he's a bachelor Mm-hmm. But then it was rumored that he was married 20 years before and was still married when he and Jessup were mm. married. Mm. All right. Um, so that it, it ended very quickly. <laughs> um, so that's literally all I could find on the marriage. Um, in 1950, she retired to Great Ashfield, Suffolk. And years later, after her retirement, Jessup received a telephone call from a woman who asked Jessup if she saved a baby on a night that the Titanic sank. Oh, my God. And Jessup says, yes. And then the voice says, I was that baby. And then the woman wasn't my mom. It was a she just hung up. She hung up and she never talked to her ever again. Mm hmm. Um, Now, her (laughs) friend and biographer John Maxstone Graham said, "Mm, girl, it's probably some children just like fucking with you. And she goes, no, John, I have never told that story to anyone before I told you right now. Mm, I don't believe it. Records (laughs) indicate. Yeah. Where records indicate <laughs> that the only baby on boat 16 was Assad Thomas, who was handed to Edwina Trout and later re- reunited with his mother on Carpathia. Mm-hmm. So um, Violet Jessup's name is not Edwina Trout. Yeah, but also how good are those records? Where they're like, trick, we handed the baby off for safety. Now write down who we gave it to yeah. and store it in a safe. And we're about to die with this boat. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Jessup often winkling. Oh, God. Sure. Jessup also. Oh, God damn it. It's the last thing I have to say, and I'm fucking it up. <sighs> Jessup often called Miss Unsinkable, because Unsinkable Molly Brown was taken, um, yeah. died of congestive heart failure in 1971 at the age of 83. No children. <gasps> Dang. 83 years. Ago. Not married. Mm-hmm. No kids. Mm-hmm. Well, one got stolen. Yep. Um, her niece, she and her niece were really close together. Oh my God. Just like the fucking Titanic. Is that her granddaughter or her That's her grand niece or something. Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. Oh, maybe that Mm. at the end. James Cameron (laughs) doing some research. You know, I did find this new drawing of (laughs) Violet. Wait, she was supposed to look drab and unpleasant. (laughs) Honestly, it, the um, photo I found of, they found one photo of the uh, guy she married, mm-hmm. and then they put it next to a photo of her, like, probably close to her death, and he's, yeah. like, 40, and she's, like, 70, and yeah. it's it's mm. offensive that they did that. <laughs> I'm, like, mad that they did that. <laughs> anyway, the very beautiful woman who couldn't be killed and couldn't stop... <laughs> Being Getting on, on boats. These ships. <laughs> you know, everyone's got their adrenaline, you know? Yeah, it's 
Hers is slowly sinking into the ocean. Maybe she was just like... I know I said something about Howard Hughes, but he was in so many fucking plane crashes that he was like, maybe I'm invincible. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she was like, bitch, you can't... Like, literally, I will not die on a boat. Yeah. And the boats were like, we'll show Mm. you. (laughs) And she was like... Nah, middle fingers to the world. My hair's so thick. My hair is so thick and You'll luscious. You'll have to shave my head before I die on this boat. Yep. <laughs> well, did you learn anything? Hmm. Women had it rough, and that's why they kill they men. They poison men. <laughs> mm. Stay out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yep. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Frederick Douglass for president, not vice president. He wasn't going to sit there and take that shit. That's right. That's true. Let's go back in time and elect Frederick Frederick Douglass as president. Go back in time and elect anybody else <laughs> from any of these jobs. Yeah. All politicians are trash. All of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. What a fun note to end on. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Follow us on all of the socials at... Weird Brunch. And that's it. Bye.